electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, put things in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, let me tell you how to approach this market after yet still one more hideous decline. Dow slipping 340 points, a lot at the end. S&P sinking 0.97%. And once again, the NASDAQ tumbling 1.15%. I need you to understand that there is another way to look at the market other than what we're seeing on our screens, other than just throwing your hands up and feeling sorry for yourself and the pain you're enduring because of some well-known factors. We all know the litany of woe, but let me toss them up and then... Shoot them down. Ready? It's not the broken supply chain. It's who can triumph over the broken supply chain. It's not the jump in raw costs. It's who is the brands that allow them to pass those costs on to the customers. It's not the inevitable rate hikes from the Fed. It's who can thrive in a higher interest rate environment. Who will make more, not less money? when the Fed does the inevitable. See, that's what matters, particularly now when we're getting into the just the grist, the, the meat of the earnings season. I want you to stop focusing exclusively on how many rate hikes the Fed will hit us with. Just stop it. Rate hikes won't kill the whole stock market. Historically, the world's averages have rallied nearly 7% on average in the first year of tightening cycle. Rather than writing off the whole asset class here, you should be trying to pick the stocks of great franchises that are getting hit because of market-wide sell-offs. I play with an open hand, as anyone who is a member of our investing club knows all too well, because I talk about our gaffes as much as I do our successes. We're not crying in our Coronas and Medellos about what happens if Jay Powell gets sick of all the hedge fund hectoring and decides to join him with a series of lockstep rate hikes that wipe out the economy. You have to have a big-picture worldview that includes the Fed, but at the end of the day, Talks about the companies. We're trying to pick stocks, not the timing of rate hikes. That's not the. I'd rather do that on DraftKings. 
It means looking for companies with the best franchises, not treating all stocks like they're interchangeable bushels or weed or barrels of oil. Think about it. Are all quarterbacks interchangeable? Do you want Jalen Hurts or Tom Brady? Is Aaron Rodgers the same as Baker Mayfield? Are the New York Giants equal to the Buffalo Bills? On Wall Street, way too many people act like the answer is always yes. They're so focused on the big picture, they don't care about the individual companies. They don't listen to the conference calls or read the slide decks. The only way they look at it, like, they want the consumer price index. They want wage inflation. That's what they want to look at. They're not willing to get their hands dirty with these quarterly reports like I do. And you know what? I don't blame them personally. Really, personally, I don't. I'd rather read a conference call, though, than a novel, unless it's a Stephen King masterpiece. But I'm a freak. I'm an auditor. Most people doing the homework is actual work. However, it gives you institutional memory. I enjoy it. I remember how good or bad a franchise has been over the years, and it lets me get a better read on management now. So let's start with the obvious. In the old days, I was never a real fan of Bank of America, big, unwieldy, always running into trouble, very little customer loyalty. These days now, no, it's now technologically superior, which you know if you have an account with a bank like I do. It's a huge asset gatherer, and it's got a lot of customer loyalty because it's digitized. You may say, who cares? I look at the mosaic and I say, wait a second. That's sticky money that goes nowhere, regardless of where, whether or not the Fed tightens. Thanks to Bank of America's scale and its, its constant growth, its enormous account base will throw off $6.5 billion in new revenue if the Fed hikes four times. $6.5 billion. In other words, this is an institution that thrives on rate hikes. So when we see the numbers it reported today, I think it deserved to rally a lot more than it did, frankly, because 2022 could be the year of Bank of America. I thought this was more like it. This was more the market, not Bank of America. So take Morgan Stanley. Here's a franchise that used to be so episodic, maybe sick, driving me crazy, up, down, up, down. That's one of the reasons why I didn't want to work there back in the day when I had the chance. Then later, I figured it would do something to run afoul of the regulators. So it was too dicey to own. These days, though, Morgan Stanley just added $430 billion of net new assets uh, last year, bringing total client assets to an astounding $5 trillion. Do you know how much a good investment bank can make off of $5 trillion? Hey, how about $3.7 billion right there? And that's just by having a great franchise, which is something we spend real time on in our 1020 a.m. morning meeting. You can tune in when you join the CNBC Investing Club. We talked about the brand name that is Morgan Stanley. It's a Super Bowl franchise that can withstand something that a Jackson, Jacksonville Jaguar team can't, right? I mean, they're not all the same. They're not the same. CEO James Gorman has transformed Morgan Stanley into something that's totally consistent. While no major bank is immune to government's uh, scrutiny, I think these guys are the closest thing to squeaky clean. Now, most people who read these quarterly reports or you know, look at the decks are specialists, and they focus only on a single sector. I have no sector. Never have. I love all companies, all sectors, albeit not all the time. That's why I was blown away by the market share gains and relative sales growth that Procter & Gamble reported today and gave us. Look at this one. Now, I got to tell you, I am sure many people's eyes glazed over when they saw overall organic growth was up 6%. Doesn't sound like that impressive, right? Oh, but that means you don't know what you're looking for. Maybe that's why the stock barely budged when the numbers first came out. Right here, it went down. And I'm screaming and screaming, will someone go buy that thing? That's right. Scream it to TV. Buy it. Buy it. Don't people remember the bad old days eight years ago when we endured open rebellion by the analysts because Procter was so poorly run? 
How quickly people forget the huge dry spell where we had ginger gigantic market share gains by Unilever in the uh, so-called uh, underdeveloped world. Now Unilever's so panicked they're trying to throw away almost $70 billion for brands from GlaxoSmithKline that have a fraction of the loyalty of Procter & Gamble. This is now a company that's simply filled with all-stars. But it wasn't always a playoff team. You know, Procter's a contender because even though it had $2.8 billion in commodity, freight, and currency headwinds, it could pass those costs on to you, the consumer, without batting an eyelash because not all brands are created equal. Procter's are created better. And that's how this stock could rally, in the end, five bucks despite the onslaught of machine selling. It wasn't people machine selling. Maybe they're worried about what Biden's saying. I don't know. I'm worried about companies. Two weeks ago, we got hit with a lightning bolt. A terrible Medicare Advantage number from Humana, which is supposed to be the king of the Medicare Advantage business. Now, I've been trying to figure out this whole Medicare Advantage thing. And I got to tell you, I got like a chief Medicare guy because it's so hard to understand. But that person likes United Health. Doesn't matter. When Humana's awful numbers came out, United Health got hit, too. Then when United Health reported this morning, the analysts, they had their knives out. They were all set. They're trying to carve up the quarter. UNH is a fabulous company, and they didn't have any Medicare Advantage problems. Turns out the issue was a little bit more humana specific. Instead, United Health reported an insanely positive number. Insanely positive. Now, again, this was more right than this. This is the machine selling this. I got to tell you, this was an opportunity. All right. Just an opportunity plan. It's simple because of this Optum Health unit. Wow. I think it's talking up a lot more. Of course. Because I have a long memory, I can recall 16 years ago when United Health had a terrible option scandal, and all they seemed to care about was enriching themselves, not their shareholders. It's incredible how the culture has changed. I like that. Oh, I can hear you. Kramer's cherry picking all the good ones. Uh, he's created an all-pro team for tonight's show because the market's down. Wrong. These just happen to be the biggest companies that reported today. The biggest ones. Hey, maybe tomorrow we'll have some clunkers. Heaven knows you don't want to be touching an unprofitable company that makes nothing and has a lot of competitors, which is about probably half the market I see. But the bottom line, real companies doing real things with tremendous brand loyalty are what will triumph in this environment. You just need to know where to look. Mary in New York. Mary. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, I'm calling about Thermo Fisher. The ratings on it go from a buy, from a buy down to a two star. And I was wondering, and the price has been under pressure since January or December 26th, although it had a pop today in the higher market, you know, with the lower market. Um, what's your long-term prognosis? And is it being priced in for possible uh, revenue and earnings? Okay, news? I think, first of all, thank you, Mary, for the call. What's happening here is that people feel that Thermo Fisher has just become an Omicron COVID stock because they have these machines that measure PCR machines. I think it's much better than that. That said, it sells at 22 times earnings. I think it's very, very close to where I would say you should buy it. I wish they'd split the stock. But understand that there are these people who think, you know what, it might as well be Zoom. It might as well be DocuSign. It's not. It's much better than that. Real companies doing real things with strong brand loyalty, even in this newfound bear market. That's what triumphs. Oh, man, tonight, SoFi announced they cleared the final regulatory hurdle to officially come back. And I'm learning more about the company's plans with the CEO. Then from SPACs to all things crypto, including Dogecoin. This has been a big year for a host of new buzzwords on Wall Street. But where does the government come down on some of the market's latest action? I'm going one-on-one for a huge chunk of time with the most important person in your life, and it's not the Fed chief if you own stocks. 
It's SEC Chairman Gary Gensler. Talk about his priorities for 2022. And my thoughts on investing in the oil patch have changed. But why? I'm drilling down to find to tell you why. That's what I'm doing. And I want you to stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the financials, this week was supposed to be about earnings from the remaining major banks. But last night, the whole industry got upstaged when SoFi Technologies, the personalized online banking play that's been disrupting this entire industry by offering terms that are much more favorable to you, the customer, announced some big news. SoFi stock jumped nearly 14% today because the company just received regulatory approval to become a chartered bank holding company. That's gigantic. Not only does it give SoFi access to a lot more capital than it can uh, then loan to consumers, it also means they can get much cheaper financing so the company instantly becomes more profitable. However, because of the financial technology stocks are so out of favor in this Wall Street fashion show, and because SoFi came public via a SPAC deal, the stock is still down huge from its November highs. Less than three months ago, it was at 24, now it's at 14. I think that's insane. SoFi is a bank. They even have a charter now. And bank stocks are supposed to rally when the Fed's getting ready to raise interest rates. I wouldn't be surprised if the stock has a lot more upside even after today's run. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Anthony Noto, the CEO of SoFi Technologies and an old friend of the show, to get a better read on the situation. Mr. Noto, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's go right to it. First, I don't know, Anthony, if people realize what a big deal this is. I mean, I couldn't just go to to the Fed or the government and say, listen, I want to be a bank, right? It doesn't work like that. No, it's a it's a very arduous process. The bar is really high. You know, the Federal Reserve and the OCC and the FDIC all have a responsibility to protect our banking system, to protect consumers. Um, We think it's critically important to do that as well. We wanted to make sure that we had the right regulatory oversight and the right capabilities to better serve our members. So um, giving over the bar and being granted the license to open a bank is a huge milestone for us as a company. We'll serve our members much better. Our goal is to be a one-stop shop for all your financial needs, to be there for all the major financial decisions you make and all the days in between. And this license will allow us to do that in an even more differentiated way. SoFi Money will go from an account that we partner with a bank on to our own SoFi uh, checking and savings account. So we'll be able to give a high interest rate on checking higher than anyone else gives. We'll be able to do that with no fees. We'll be able to provide overdraft protection, the ability to pay with your phone, pay with your card, pay your friends person to person. Um, We would just ask you to do direct deposit with us against that backdrop. And so that's one big differentiator. And then, of course, as you you mentioned, we'll be able to offer more loans at lower interest rates. But, you know, this sounds too good to be true, Anthony. I mean, I'm I'm making nothing in my checking accounts at a couple of banks. Are you telling me because of this charter, I might be able to go to SoFi and make something on my checking account? Yes, because we have a lower cost base, because we're a digital company, not with a lot of branches, and because we're built on a modern technology stack in the cloud, uh, we have a lot more we can give back to the consumer. The bank license allows us to fund our costs at about 50% lower, and we're going to use that to give the consumer a highly differentiated interest rate in SoFi checking, about 1%, as long as they do direct deposit with us with all the benefits that I mentioned, and that's actually being funded by our lower cost in funding our loans since we no longer have to borrow money from big banks to fund, to lend to our customers, we can use our own customers' deposits as a result of the banking well, license. So, of, of you being able to make literally hundreds of billions of dollars more now that you're not at the mercy of these banks? Our, our funding costs will go from about 2 to 3% down to about 1%, whatever we offer in checking. And we want to offer meaningfully higher than anyone else offers our relative to the traditional banks that really don't offer a lot of interest in checking. And when they do offer you a high interest rate, they get, you have to have a minimum balance. Your spending is restricted. We're not going to have a minimum balance or restriction on spending. You could spend where you want, when you want. Just do direct deposit with us and you'll get the high rate, no fees, free overdraft protection, bill pay, et cetera. All right. Now, we are seeing some uh, credit numbers from, say, likes of Bank of America. The, the number of bad loans has just dropped precipitously. What kind of procedures are you using to be sure that SoFi shareholders are being protected so that you're not lending to people you shouldn't? Great question. So we have four types of loans. We have mortgages, which with the bank license, we'll now be able to do in all 50 states instead of just 40 states. We also have unsecured personal loans. And then we refinance student loans and we give in-school loans. Um, we underwrite to a very high credit standard. Um, we underwrite 680 FICO score and higher, which is called a prime uh, member. Uh, we've had great loan performance. Our unsecured personal loans have been right around 7%. Our student loans that we refinance are less than 1% life of loan loss. So we've really had great credit performance. Our team's done a great job of managing that. Right. And uh, this bank license will allow us to actually offer even more attractive rates, which will improve our credit profile even more. OK, so we all see SoFi Stadium. Uh, will we start realizing SoFi Stadium is also, it's also the name of a, a bank that offers us better rates than the ones we're currently getting? 
That's right, Jim. And the, the stadium has helped us become more of a household name. It had a large impact, as we talked about in Q3, on the awareness of SoFi. The bank license will only further extend that ability to become a trusted household brand name, which is critical to being a top five bank in the country or top five financial institution in the country. And that's our goal. Right, because I like people who perform and who serve for our country. What's it like for you to get this approval? You personally, Anthony Nutto. I, I will say when the email hit my inbox last night from both the Federal Reserve and the OCC, it was absolutely an, an emotional moment for me. Um, you know, where I grew up and how we grew up, you know, just it's been an incredible dream come true to be able to lead a great company like SoFi. But then to get the privilege of having a bank license is, is something I never dreamed of. Now, uh, you were at Goldman. You went to West Point. Uh, you worked at the NFL. You've done this job. I mean, you're, you're kind of ready for pretty much everything. Will you take on the big guys? Can you take on the big guys? We are absolutely going after the 500 million accounts that are still tied to legacy FDIC banks. We're creating a unique value proposition that is very differentiated in a number of ways. One way it's really differentiated is we want to be your lifelong partner, your lifelong member, be there for every one of the major decisions. We're not going to abandon a product because we can't make money on it. We're going to figure out how to serve you well and make money along the way um, so that we can have that relationship to help you understand how to refinance a mortgage or buy your first home or start investing in your 20s uh, through SoFi Invest. Uh, and we keep driving innovations that others are copying, and they're going to struggle to stay up with us given our modern, modern technology stack and just our culture as a company to out-innovate everyone else and I've, constantly oh, iterate. Right. I've asked my banks to let me put my Ethereum with them. They don't want it. Can I send my Ethereum to you so I know it's safe? Um, you have the ability through SoFi Invest to buy 30 different cryptocurrencies on SoFi, um, and we do that through a partnership with Coinbase and BitGo. Uh, and so you can go on SoFi right now and buy more Ethereum if you'd like to do that. Um, and they're a partner of ours that custody the assets, and we uh, provide the ability for you to buy and sell through us in those 30 different coins. Well, that's SoFi. what people want to hear. They want to hear everything you just said. I want to congratulate you. I've known you for a very long time, and I'm really proud of you. This is really terrific stuff. Anthony Noto, really great to see you. CEO of SoFi, congratulations. Jim, thank you very much. Real deal. Met him in the 90s, straight shooter the whole way. This is a very, very good thing for a good guy. And you know what? I'm going to check the rates out. Maybe you should too. Maybe Mike's back here for break. Coming up, it's a big time, big picture look at the market's biggest issues. Kramer sits down with the SEC chairman next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. We had to me a terrific change in strategy and thought 
when the Securities and Exchange Commission was taken over by Gary Gensler as chairman last year. Just in the last few months, he's effectively banned questionable Chinese companies from listing U.S. exchanges, something we've championed because they've had poor disclosure. And on average, these deals have cost you a fortune. SEC's also proposed all sorts of the rule changes for stable coins, SPACs, swaps, climate disclosures, scheduled insider trading procedures. But as the new year goes into full swing, what are the SEC's top priorities now? Let's go right to the source. Chairman Gary Gensler, the man himself for a rare two-part interview. Chairman Gensler, welcome to Mad Money. Uh, good to be with you, Jim. Please call me uh, Gary or call me chair. I go gender neutral these days. All right, I'll call you Gary. Gary, I, I, I know this is not what people expect, but do you mind if we start by talking Aristotle? Aristotle, yes. this is terrific. Because <laughs> a great think thinker 2,300 years ago. Well, he's sorely needed because Aristotle speaks about treating cases alike. But I think both you and I know there is too much uh, some people being treated better than others, and you are making this a mission to end that. Tell us where you're really focused on on treating cases alike. Look, for, for your listening public, I, I've quoted Aristotle a couple of times, but in the simplest way is he really did have this great quote about treating like cases alike. And I use that with regard to special purpose acquisition companies. This is a way that private companies are seeking to go public in a new way. There's traditional IPOs, but then they're trying to do this, these things called SPACs. And I think that we should still protect the public that you get full and fair disclosure, that there's really somebody looking at the company closely called an underwriter and that they have certain obligations and that you, the investing public, uh, get all the opportunities that some of the uh, kind of the other folks get. But we could use that Aristotle quote on crypto as well We're gonna get you know, there. to try like activities alike. But see, yeah, what I'm worried about is this. People are losing fortunes. And it wasn't like you didn't predict it because you talk about the idea of celebrity backed deals. And but one thing, when I brought a company public through the commission, I was shaking, shaking in my boots because I knew that they would look at every line. And they sure did. And they spent four weeks with me, grilling me about my projections, which they then told me no more projections about how I was doing, what was going on. The scrutiny was so great that I almost didn't want to go through the process. Gary, these people don't have any scrutiny. Look, it's a very different world. And and I say this to anybody listening. If you invest in a special purpose acquisition company, SPAC, it's just a blank check company. You put your $10 in and you wait for two years to see if they're going to invest in some company that's good or not. And guess what? The promoters get 20% if they do a deal. So they've got an incentive to do something, even if it's not the best deal in the world. And the big investors often get out and redeem, and you're left in taking that that sponsor promote, diluting you in that. Well, how do we change this? This is not right. There are people who have the, they own these things that are $4, $5, $6. They tell me, Gary, is like, we lost everything. We didn't know we could lose everything. How did this happen? Well, so I've asked staff to give us recommendations. We, we have this commission, a five-member commission, and, and hopefully we come to some consensus and put out to public comment a proposal. Now, what that really means is we're trying to make sure that you get better disclosure, number two, that these, these, the investment banker that you, Jim, were nervous about has to do that same rigorous analysis 
when they do the merger, when they look at that company. Uh, but make no mistake, there's sponsors in this that want to make a lot of money. That 20% uh, promote is usually the retail investing public gets that dilution. You, oh, you, you, there's a reason that these, these are costly uh, enterprises for the retail but public. Gary, I'm looking at these projections that people make in these things, and they're wrong the first quarter. And no one has to pay. No one gets in trouble for pie-in-the-sky numbers that could never have been met. Look, part of what's happened here is a, is a new technology, that's the SPACs, a new technology they're trying to get around some age-old protections, age-old protections about forecasts that you just said, about the disclosure of the information, and about the underwriter. And I would hope we'd put out some proposals, we get public comment, and we try to uh, bring far greater investor protection to this space. Okay, now let's talk about like-for-like like in crypto. Uh, today I went to my, you know, I got this Ethereum, and I thought this was terrific. I'm earning 9% at this block fee, 9%. My Ethereum is earning 5%. 9%? Hey, Gary, that's terrific. I, how the heck can anyone earn 9% on their cash? Something's got to be going on here that you and I don't like. Well, you know, Aristotle also wrote extensively about money, by the way, but we won't get into that. I think you're raising something really important about like for like. If you put your money in a mutual fund, there's a whole set of uh, protections around what they invest in and the information they share with you. And to earn you know, 9%, as you say, in this market, there's probably some risk underneath that. But you get disclosure. You get to decide whether you're comfortable with the risk. That is not the case in crypto. In cr the crypto asset space, this $1.9 trillion dollar asset basis, highly speculative, and you don't have those disclosures. And uh, many of these tokens, many of these tokens are, in fact, investment contracts. It depends on the facts, depends on the individual circumstance, but they're raising money from you, and you aren't expecting some profit. You're looking for a, a return based on the efforts of others. And, and that... Generally, make something an investment okay, but, contract uh, under the security little, store. When I was little, I would get chain chain letters, and the chain letter is really cool because if you did this, 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 you got money. Now they call it Dogecoin, and it's dressed up. What is Dogecoin? I mean, we can't just you and I can't just create something and create it and call it money. That's not right. So you, you can imagine, and for your listeners that. I chair a, a regulatory and law enforcement commission, so I can't speak about any one token because it might come in front of our commission. But let me just talk more generally, uh, Jim, when they're, they're advertising to you, they're promoting to you that they're going to make you money. That's exactly what our laws were set up to protect. It was about disclosure and protecting against frauds. That's why President Roosevelt called it the Truth and Securities Act. And these tokens should be under and should understand that and disclose to you so you, the public, can 
decide what risk but, to take. But, but what kind of disinfectant can get through? There's no sunlight there at all. OK, we, 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 Dogecoin does not have Louis Brandeis. It didn't like Louis Brandeis's idea, which was brilliant, which is that let's expose it. Let's have all sorts of disclosure is not working. These young kids are in this Dogecoin. They don't know what they're in. They're going to lose fortunes. I know it's not your job or my job to keep it so they lose fortunes. But maybe if they had full sunlight, they would know that they're doing something foolish. Look, sunlight matters, but also it's about the exchanges themselves. And, and Roosevelt knew this many years ago. It was about the companies issuing and raising money from the public. But in the day, the New York Stock Exchange and others also had oversight. And that's really important. The crypto exchanges that the public mm-hmm. might be investing in, the crypto lending platforms should come in, work with us, register, and make sure that we can get the basic investor protection that people isn't, aren't front-running you or not, uh, there's, there's not fraud or manipulation on those platforms. And right. without that, I think a lot of people are going to get hurt. And the SEC has the authorities also uh, to bring actions in this space. All right. I want to hear that. Now we're going to take a break and we're going to come back because we got to talk about what happened a year ago at this time and how personally you know that we have to change things. And you've done a lot behind the scenes to do it. More with SEC Chair Gary Gensler when we come back. This is wow. Coming up, Kramer bears down on the Beltway. More with the man atop the market's key regulator. Next. Before the break, we spoke to Gary Gensler, the chair of the SEC Commission, uh, which makes him the most important regulator in America, at least as far as Wall Street is concerned. There's so much we want to discuss. Well, we got to go right back to it. Gary, all right, let's talk about a year ago. Uh, when I look at what happened with, with GameStop, when I look at with AMC, I see many not like-for-like situations. I think some people have more information than others. I think some people didn't be able to, weren't in on it, so to speak. I also see kids who were playing Candy Crush, and they got this fantastic app from Robinhood, and they said this is even more fun than video games. All these areas need at least more sunlight again. How do we fix what, what could again happen from last year? I think that uh, we learned a lot of lessons from that. We have a, multiple projects. One, let me talk about the Candy Crush, if I might. We're in a modern time that we're bombarded, we Americans are bombarded every day by prompts, behavioral prompts, do this, do that. We, we, we find it in every day. But in finance, the brokerage apps, the robo-advisors are doing it as well. And I think that we have to be aware that their motivation is to make more revenues for that startup or more money for that application and that business. And we have a basic idea in America that they should be making advice and recommendations to us for our benefit. So I think that I would say to you all, the public, as you're investing, beware that they're trying to get you to trade more often. That's their motivation. And statistics usually show that investing is good, but trading often is not. Secondly, there's a bunch going on with regard to the market structure. Are the brokers really trying to actually get best execution? The best execution for you means putting others, brokers, in competition for your order. 
And, and that's a really important thing. So we're looking at both of those. We're also looking at the basic plumbing, the clearing and settling part of the market uh, to try to uh, lower the risk there and, and help protect. Remember, a year ago, a lot of retail investors were shut out of the market. Right. And, and that's not good. Access to our market is so important. And I think we can, we can do some things in what I'll call the plumbing. All right, so Gary, let's say I, I decide I'm going to go 5% short XYZ Corp. Uh, why don't I have to disclose that that day? What, what, what's the secret? Why, why, why 10 days? That gives nine days where you and someone else have the edge. We don't want edge. We want instant look at what's happening. Why don't we just wave the wand here? Make it that day. Well, we, 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 we at the Securities and Exchange Commission have process and laws and everything, but we are looking to put two things out to the public uh, to try to change our rules. And one is about short selling and one is about the insider disclosures around short selling that you'd have more information in the market uh, that companies and the exchanges have to put out there. And I'm hoping with support of fellow commissioners to do that. Another thing is to shorten what you call this 10 day window that large holders over 5 percent uh, uh, have to put information out. It's been 50 years since that rule has been uh, put out there, and a lot's changed in the 50 years to maybe look at shortening that. Well, okay, so I, when I think about what happened last year, I recognize the people who are still angry. They were shut out on a given day, whatever. Um, it, but at the same time, uh, we had a kind of weird capitalism going on. We were ganging up against short sellers and a couple of stocks that, that kind of went crazy. Uh, Good or bad for the market that we got so many people involved and you had this uh, GameStop go to 400? Is that good or bad? But, uh, I'm not going to speak about any one company's valuation, but I think it's, it's good to have more of the public of every generation thinking about their future and investing in this great thing of America, cap, the capital markets and the companies that stand behind it. But the, the constant daily prompts and motivations to trade more generally lowers returns to sort of do the day trading and the like. And so that's why I've asked staff for recommendations about the predictive data analytics and the behavioral prompts and what some people call gamification, or you said the candy crush of the capital markets. All right. Well, we, we got to mean to here, here's what I'm stymied by. I, too, want everybody involved. But when I look at Robinhood, which is a place where a lot of people got in, I see people tell me, look, it's commission free. I mean, that's why I did it commission free. But the whole concept of commission free, it, it doesn't really exist. Or, or, or we should be shooting. No, for no, something. you're paying for it. The public is paying for it because what's happening is a number of broker jobs are getting paid for your order flow. And then they're not putting your order on the lit markets, it's going to the dark market. So if you put what's called a market order in to one of these broker japs, it doesn't go to the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or something. It, it invariably goes to a small handful of internalizers, what's called wholesalers in the dark market. And so we're, we're really looking hard and we're working hard with the economists on how we can uh, raise the chance that you, the public, get, you know, you really get competition and get the, thus the benefit of that competition and best execution. Right. One last question. I'm trying to figure out 
Uh, I have a friend who works at a ma- runs a major consulting company, and he said, look, what's going to happen is every company's going to have to do ESG disclosure. The SEC is going to be overwhelmed. They're going to need auditors on ESG. Is that how it should go? Give us advice about how we can be sure that it's not greenwash. So uh, uh, two pieces of this. One is the company's raising money from you. We now live in a period that many investors measured in the trillions of dollars want comparable, consistent data about climate risk, uh, the strategies, and yes, some of the greenhouse gas emissions. The second thing is the funds, these, these, these mutual funds and asset managers who are saying, hey, come hither, invest with me, we're ESG. I think in that second area, we also have work to do to make sure that there's some truth in advertising, that mm-hmm. something stands mm-hmm. behind just like when you go in a grocery store and it's fat-free milk, what stands behind that? So we're trying to do rules in that area as well uh, to basically to guard against what you said, this, this, this greenwashing, so to speak. There's some metrics, uh, just as you know what stands behind right. when you say it's a high-yield bond fund, you know the details. Or when you right. go in a grocery store and it's uh, fat-free milk. All right. Well, look, let's do roundtables. Let's go around the country and do this. You and me, whatever else you want. Teach people. They, we can teach people. You and I have been around a long time. We can save, we can people, we can, without picking on any security or any particular firm, we can help educate people so they don't lose a lot of money because you and I both know that's about what's happening right now. Well, it's part of our jobs. You have a different job than I do, Jim. We've known each other probably 20 some years. Um, uh, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing on behalf of 330 million okay. Americans and try to make the markets fair for regular folks. Well, look, I'm and, so and you that's came what on. we do. Investor protection. We, we look out for the issuers, capital formation, and that what's in, in the middle. Fair, orderly and efficient markets trying to drive more competition in the market, but also make them more fair. And that's going to help investors. And it's going to help companies raising money. I am going to do my end, do the things on my end that you're doing on your end. And we can make it so that people are more informed so they make better decisions. That's all we can ask for. Chairman Gary Gensler, SEC. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for your listeners. Wow. All right, guys. I hope you learned. So I learned a great deal. And I've been doing this for 42 years. Uh, we got to help make everybody as educated as possible. That's all we can ask. They have money's back here. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. <laughs> it is time. Time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round. Are you ready to keep that turn? Not in Texas, Matt. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm curious about your take on DuPont. Sold it yesterday for the trust. Why? Because it had moved up. We wanted to be able to take a good gain. Explained it all in our morning meeting, which starts at 1020 each day. I hope to hear you tomorrow. Watch me. Let's go to Calvin in Kansas. Calvin. Hi, Jim. My son Calvin has a question for you. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, you recommended a stock quite a while back, and it's gone down a little bit recently, but analysts think it has a big upside. Do you still like commercial vehicle groups? CVG? I like stocks that are inexpensive that have to do with autos, and there you've got one. I think you're in good shape. Let's go to Zavanko in Missouri. Zavanko. Booyah, Mr. Jim Kramer. Booyah. Love the show. Much respect to you, and sorry about your Eagles losing. It's all right. Next year. Uh, I'm I'm a cheesehead, so I think of you as Aaron Rodgers' stock market. So here's my question. 
I bought the dip on American and Southwest Airlines during the Omicron scare. Okay. Now, unfortunately, they're starting to dip again. Right. Do you think I should? Do you think I should sell both? One of those. I'm not a big fan these days of Southwest. You can keep the other. Okay, that's the way I look at it. Let's go to Josh in Florida. Josh, Joshster, you're up. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing doing, well. What's going on? Good. Nothing much. I'm a big fan of your show. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, I was wondering um, how you felt about the stock called Frey. Oh, Freyer. No, 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 no. We're not doing battery stocks. Whether it be quantum stock, whether it's Freyer, we don't. We don't like EV. EV is not working, okay? Hey, I want to go to Dale in California. Dale. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Dale. Of course. I'd like to get your uh, thoughts on uh, the Vector Group, BGR, since it spun off its real estate holder, uh, the Doug Elman Group. Yeah, but just that gives you like cigarettes, and I don't recommend cigarettes. They have a kind of a short life to them, thank heavens. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, when it comes to energy, flexibility may be the hottest commodity. Kramer follows the facts on oil next. Kramer. You are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Regular viewers know that I am a fiend for feedback from my Twitter mentions. I read anything that's remotely constructive, along with a lot of stuff that's pretty destructive. What can I say? I'm a glad for punishment. Yesterday, after interviewing our most trusted energy expert, Rusty Brazil from RBN Energy, I found myself thinking, well, I'm buying next, what? Got to buy some more. Got to own more. See, so we own Chevron already for the Travel Trust, and I know we got to be bigger. I was going over in my head. I think Devon Energy is terrific with that huge variable dividend, but the stock has been too hot to handle. Pioneer Natural Resources, Diamondback, certainly makes sense if you want a fast-growing independent producer. Then again, Conoco is so disciplined and so strong, which is why I mentioned it when uh, Research Director Jeff Marks and I had our morning meeting for investing club members. Yet when I checked my Twitter mentions column, hoping to get some constructive feedback, Greeted with scorn. One viewer argued that I've become hypocritical and two-faced because I now love the oils instead of hating them. How can I be trusted when I'm such a flip-flopper? Oh, that's the gist of it. Fully sanitized for television. Not unusual when it comes to criticism. But wait a second. To be fair, I'm willing to give the guy... Let's say he's got a point. I spent years warning that the oils were uninvestable. Now I love them. Was I wrong to call them uninvestable? I don't think so. Before the bottom in 2020, this group spent years in the doghouse. Of course, there's no longer the case. From the perspective of a money manager, there's no shame in flip-flopping. Call me crazy, but when the facts change, I change my mind. I want to make money. So what changed with the oil companies? When the price of crude was much lower, I warned you away from the group because historically oil producers had very little discipline. Whenever oil ticked up in price, they'd drill like crazy, even if it meant flooding the market with supply and weakening the profits. The whole industry was also loathed by a generation of money managers who viewed the oils like big tobacco because of the devastation they caused the environment. Over the last couple of years, though, the oil business has a whole new attitude. When it comes to the environment, 
they're actually bending over backwards to reduce their carbon emissions. Yesterday, ExxonMobil, which is one of the worst offenders, laid out a credible plan to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions. This is after a small firm won a proxy fight uh, to put us some genuine environmentalists on the board of directors. Chevron's committed to spending $10 billion to develop less carbon-intensive fuels and processes. Original plan was only $3 billion, but CEO Mike Worth decided not enough. More importantly, though, both the majors and the independents have backed away from that drill baby drill mentality. Rather than spending a fortune to flood the market with new supply every time the oil prices go up, they've become more cautious. Independents like Devin, the pioneer like Dimeback, are now committed to rewarding their shareholders with these generous variable dividends. They no longer spend beyond their means. Their restraint has helped the whole industry catch its breath. It's a major reason, by the way, why crude's now at 86 a barrel. Devin can break even when oil's at 30. So they can make fortunes with it at 86 and, and looking like it's going to 100. In fact, I honestly wish they'd drill a little more using new technologies to make the process cheaper. But I acknowledge that's a slippery slope. So let's now go back to the original Twitter critic. He thinks I'm a hypocrite for flip-flopping. But what can I do? I spent years telling you all the problems of the oil industry from an investing perspective. Then these companies addressed every single one. One of the issues I care about. In other words, the facts change. I had to change, too. If you listen to me, fortunately, you would have caught a remarkable rally. And I bet these stocks do have a lot more room to run as oil moves inexorably higher. Today in that morning meeting, which you can watch only if you're a club member, I said, you know what? We get a little price break. We got to pull the trigger. There's that much more money that can be made by owning the oils. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. Promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.